I struggled for a little while this past week trying to decide where God was leading me to preach. And then on the news, I watched uh, a story that when I started watching it, it clearly told me where God was leading me. I'd thought about some of these things before that. And, and as I was watching this story, it kind of became clear that it was something that I should speak to. You know, we, we uh, have all seen in the news uh, the stories recently of all the violence and the anger and frustration that are going on in the world. And uh, it can be scary at times as you think about uh, the consequence of some of these things that are just being perpetuated all over. Seems to me that Things are getting worse and worse. And I, I remember uh, as a young Christian, I, I had a, a young or an older gentleman who uh, I looked up to greatly, and he would often say things like, you know, things are getting worse, things are getting worse. And I, and I, my response as a young guy, no, nah, they're not getting any worse. It's just, you know, we just go through these seasons. And yet, and now I'm one of those who, as I look at things, I see that it appears that things are getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. And I wonder, is there a correlation between the movement of atheists and anti-church groups and the resulting decay of the moral base that has been in our country since the beginning? You know, is there, is there a connection between uh, the destruction of our morals and the increase in violence and anger and frustration with society in general? One news piece that I was mentioning that really uh, I noticed recently was a billboard that had been put up by an atheist group. And as you can see, it shows a child writing a letter, supposedly writing a letter to Santa saying that all she wants for Christmas is to skip church because she's too old for fairy tales. What is that message saying? That Christianity is a fairy tale, that that biblical things that we believe is a fairy tale, that going to church only perpetuates false teachings of, of things that these atheists don't believe in. So I, I decided to go online and search for some other uh, examples, and um, I found a, a couple of others. Uh, there were actually quite a few others. I only put, I'm only putting a couple up here, but says, you know, it's a myth. I guess I got it off to side, but um, basically calling Christianity the reason for the season a myth. And another one obviously directed at uh, parents and children. Please don't indoctrinate me with religion. Teach me to think for myself. In other words, we as Christians are indoctrinated. We don't think for ourselves. We don't have the ability to uh, think as the world thinks. And for me, I say, yay, praise the Lord. I don't want to think as the world thinks. And, and if reading and studying and believing God's word is error, I'd rather err on that side than err on the side of believing the things that others want to teach us. So I looked up a definition of what an atheist is. Here's the definition from the... From the uh, 
dictionary. Persons who deny or disbelieve the existence of a supreme being or beings. Further includes synonyms for uh, agnostics and skeptics. Refers to a person not inclined toward religious belief or a particular form of religious belief. An atheist is one who denies the existence of a deity or of divine beings. An agnostic is one uh, who believes that it is impossible to know anything about God or about creation or the universe and refrains from commitment to any religious doctrine. And I can tell you that I personally know at least one pastor who stands in a pulpit who denies uh, the creation of the world by God. And um, so it's not just people outside, but there are people within the churches who are teaching things that are contrary to what the Bible teaches us. And so the question that came to my mind is, if these people truly are atheists and agnostics, why do they resist and fight so hard? Why do they pay the kind of money that it would cost to put up a sign, a billboard saying that you know, Christianity is false. Why, why do you attack something that you truly don't believe in? And yet they work very hard at it to make sure that others believe what they do. And then on Christmas Eve, our, our family, uh, we took the God's Not Dead video from the library here, and we watched that on Christmas Eve and, and, uh, as a family. And, and as we were watching that, one of the statements that came out in there is that a large number, uh, the majority of atheists are former Christians. Now, I would assume that what that really means is that they are former people who have been exposed to Christianity or exposed to the Word of God. In other words, they have heard the truth but maybe have never received it and, and uh, took ownership of what it has to say. But I, I found that to be very interesting. In my interaction with people that I know are atheists, I find that most of them have some sort of a church background or some sort of a background where um, something has happened to them that has caused them to reject God. And so one of the questions that for me that initially or automatically, I should say, uh, raises is therefore... What do we as Christians do about that? We all understand that the church is under attack. Christianity is under attack. We can just see it everywhere. Um, how, do we how do we respond to that? What do we do about that? And so today, I, I'd just like us to look at a few things. First of all, God is not surprised by the opposition that comes to him in his word. We're going to read a few verses about that as we go through. Secondly, I want us to look at where the real problem comes from. What is the source of that opposition? Who is really behind it? And then thirdly, we're going to look at God tells us uh, how we as a church, or as believers, should respond. Well, first of all, God tells us that it will come. And so... Uh, Let's take a look at some verses. Let's look at Second Peter. We're going to look at a number of verses, so you might want to get your Bibles ready and uh, be prepared. We're uh, going to... Uh, I'm not going to tell you uh, to believe me. I want you to look at the Word of God and see what it has to say about these things. So we're going to start with Second Peter 3. Uh, 
and uh, reading verses 3 to 5. And here's what it says. 2 Peter 3, verse 3. First of all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as, as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So you see, they had heard the word. They've heard and should understand. But the opposition, those who oppose the word of God, question everything that is God. If I can doubt and question the very existence of God, the very... Uh, base of his word uh, what happens from the beginning then I can cause people to question God as well for those of you who, who come to Bethel you know that I often say uh, that the opposition to God's word and creation and what God said appears right at the very beginning of the book uh, of the Bible in the book of Genesis Satan comes to the woman and he, his first question to her is, did God really say? And isn't that the question that's at the root of so much of the opposition? Is this really the word of God? Did God really say the things that we believe from his word? You see, if I can get you to doubt, did God say these things? Is this really the teaching of God? Then I can get you to follow off onto things that I want you to believe that I'm teaching. And thus the problem that, that we run into with those who are in opposition to God is that they want us to believe other things, but to not believe did God really say. In essence, I believe that atheism, agnosticism, are religions because they are teaching a false truth. Well, guess where that false truth comes from? Did God really say came from Satan? That same lie, that same theory is being perpetuated over and over and over again all the time. In essence, they are a religion that is opposed to Christianity or the Word of God. And so we have to guard against or be aware of what the source of the problem is. And we're going to look in a little while as to what we can do uh, to recognize that and to be able to stand uh, against that. But if we don't understand those questions, if we don't understand what's, God, what's going on, then we're going to do exactly what they want us to do. They want us to leave God. And they want us to teach us to question foundational truths from the Bible. If I can get you to not believe in this as the true word of God, then I can get you to follow off in any direction that I want to lead you. We've seen examples of that uh, forever and ever because, as I said, God's not surprised. He's told us it was going to happen. And he's preparing us and has prepared us to stand against that. If we, if we destroy the foundation, the Word of God, if we can destroy that or your belief in that, then we can cause Christianity to crumble. That's the belief of the atheists. 
I can destroy your thinking and your ability to understand that this is the Word of God, then I can cause you to question every single thing that's in the Word of God. I don't know if you've run into this or not. I hear it all the time as I interact in the Christian circles. There are people who are teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God who stand in pulpits on Sunday mornings. Uh, Being uh, on the board of overseers for our district, I have opportunity to interact with uh, churches uh, throughout Wisconsin and Upper Michigan. And I hear about reports of, of things that are happening, negative things that are happening in those churches. And almost every single time, it comes down to a question of biblical truth. The version of the Bible you use, interpretation of this or interpretation of that, which creates conflict within the church and then destroys the church and causes splits and issues to come up. So let's look at another uh, set of verses. First Timothy, if you want to turn there to chapter 4. Sorry, I kind of skipped ahead of myself. First Timothy, verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The clear, uh, Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So you see the, the description here, and this is where the leave and the teach come in. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead under First Timothy. But you see... The opposition comes in from people, again, as I pointed out, they are led by Satan, they're led by deceiving spirits who are in opposition to God's Word or the Holy Spirit. And these teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. In other words, they might even know the truth which makes it even more dangerous. They may know the truth, and yet they choose to stand and question and try to teach you to disagree or to abandon your foundational truths. Can you see how dangerous that could be to us as Christians if we allow that to happen within our churches? We have to stand on the Word of God. We have to stand on the truth. If we don't, our faith is going to be eroded away like these atheists who put up these billboards. So, what kind of influence can somebody have who is outside of the church? You know, you, you kind of wonder, okay, how much uh, are we going to believe people who are outside of the, te- outside of the church? Well, turn with me into 1 John. It's toward the back here, 1 John. Uh, chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So what is John trying to tell us here in this? Well, these antichrists, these people who are coming uh, along and are teaching false things about the Word of God, 
had been a part of the Christian or church group. They had been there, they had heard the word, they had received the teaching, they had been part of the group. If we had somebody who came in from the outside who said, I've never been to church before, I've never read the Bible, and they got up in front of us and started to try to teach us something, we would certainly not listen to them. We would reject them. But if somebody gets up and they have all of these credentials, I've gone to this seminary and I've done this and I've preached here and I've done all of these things and they get into the pulpit, all of a sudden we give ear to what it is they have to say to us. And you can see how dangerous that can be because they are part of us or have been a part of us, part of the Christian family. They, they, can I be identified as Christian? And thus when they stand in the pulpit, what they say we give ear to. And so you can see how dangerous and insidious that can be as they are part or have been part of the church and yet they have gone out. But John doesn't leave it there. John keeps going on and in verses uh, 22 and 23 he tells us a, a little bit more. He says this, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. Okay, he said many Antichrists are going to go out and now he's telling us what that Antichrist looks like. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son also has, or has the Father also. So you can see that the danger here, we should be able to pick up on the signals. The first signal is, do they uh, acknowledge Jesus Christ? And secondly, do they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God? Those are two elements that we can look for when we're trying to examine, is this person in the church? In other words, are they believers or are they outside? Now, they can stand in the pulpit, they can teach in your uh, Sunday school, ABF, whatever it might be, but if they're teaching that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, that, uh, that he is not who he claimed to be, then they are, according to John, then they are the Antichrist. What are we to do with the Antichrist? We are to deny, we are to turn away, we are to send him uh, or her out of the church. They are not to be in causing problems within the church. Let me say, by the way, a little parenthetical throw in here. Uh, I don't know of any Antichrists in our church here at Bethel. I'm not aware of anybody who was teaching things of this nature. Uh, but we have to be on the guard because I am aware of people who are in other churches who are teaching some of these things. So we have to be on the guard. And some of you are visitors here today and you may go back to a church and you might have a pastor who will come in and, 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 or somebody who will come in and start to teach these things. And this is one of the, the litmus tests that you should use. Is there an admission or, or acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be and that he is the Son of God, that he is God? Here's what Holman's commentary on the Bible says. They deny that Jesus is the divine Son of God. This denial also constitutes a denial of the Father. So you see, if I deny Christ, I also deny the Father. Their claim to be in fellowship with the Father cannot be true since they are not in fellowship with His Son. Per, a person cannot have the Father without having the Son, nor 
can he or she have the Son without having the Father? To accept or reject one is to accept or reject the other. We either believe that there is a heavenly Father, God, who is the creator of all things, the heavens and the earth, and that he sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, his Son meaning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Emmanuel, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, God with us. God came in the form of a baby, Jesus Christ. He grew up into a man. He lived a perfect life. He was hated and rejected, was crucified on a cross, was dead, was buried, and was raised again. We either believe that fundamental truth and teach that, or we are antichrists. That's what John is saying here in these verses. Now, that's a strong statement. If you reject Jesus Christ, you also reject the Father. If you reject anything about the Father, you also reject Jesus Christ. The two are one, and we cannot separate them. We can't have one without the other. And yet there are people who want us to believe that we can have one without the other. Well, let's keep looking for another example. Let's look at Titus. Right after Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus chapter 1. told you we're going to look at a lot of verses. We're not done yet. Titus chapter 1, begin with verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. That means those who are... In that day, those were the people who were legalistic. They were the ones who uh, wanted to hold on to the uh, Old Testament law and teach Christianity at the same time. And so you had to follow the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. Today, there would be a church that is legalistic in their approach and belief that you have to follow certain elements in order to be a part of that church. They must be silenced because they are uh, ruining whole households and by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So we see that these are rebellious people. They are teachers who are out there deceiving for a reason, and the reason, according to Scripture here, is for a dishonest gain. So I, I started thinking about what might be, the, might be the dishonest gain that these people Uh, might receive. Well, it could be monetary, it could be financial, but it could also be uh, prestige or fame. Uh, In this day and age, we don't have to go very far to to see people who have uh, left the church teaching things, and pastors uh, who have left the church and are teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God. Now, I won't mention any names, but his initial, one of his initials are Rob Bell, who is teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God. And they, according to this scripture, are doing it for some sort of gain. I think in his case, it's fame and money. Uh, He has uh, Oprah Winfrey, who is promoting his teachings and and putting him on her network and, and giving him free airtime. And yet he 
denies the virgin birth. He denies the creation as we understand it from word, God, word of God and many, many other things that are contrary to the teachings of the Bible. That's just one. And I can tell you there are many others, that, and, and I don't have time to go into all of those, and you probably know of many that I don't even know about. These are people who are teaching things that are trying to destroy the church. Why are they trying to destroy the church? Well, they have some motive behind them that we don't necessarily always understand. But it's our obligation to be aware of what the Word of God says so that we may be prepared to stand up when we hear of the kind of opposition that comes. Who can have the kind of influence that these people have? It's somebody who has, quote, the credentials, who has been part of us but have left us as John said in 1 John. The Antichrist has to have some sort of credibility within the church in order to be able to come in and teach false things within the church. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be aware that that could come. Let's look now in 2 Peter for another example. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. But there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, brought them, uh, uh, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. You see that the, one of the problems here is not only do we follow, but then we behave in a certain way that brings disrepute to the Word of God and to God Himself and to His church. Verse 3, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging uh, over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a, pr a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Goes on, if he condemned Sodom and Gomorrah, you see, if that God who did those things in the ancient days will not hold people faultless who are trying to destroy the church today. And he will bring condemnation on them. He will bring destruction on them. In many ways, these people are exploiting people within the church, telling stories that are fabricated and made up. I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of, of someone who says, God showed me or told me or, or gave me a vision of what he wants to accomplish or what he wants to do within the church. And in so doing, that person may be trying to take us in a direction that we ought not to go. We need to have the Holy Spirit to be able to discern 
whether that is a godly thing or whether that is something that that person is making up. According to what uh, Peter is saying here, is that there are people who are going to make up stories to try to convince us to behave and act in certain ways. The problem for the church is that that causes us to behave in ways that are not helpful in trying to witness and teach others to follow after Jesus Christ. They teach destructive heresies. Let's look again in 2 Timothy. Probably would have been nice if I would have put these all in order, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to bounce back and forth so much. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But mark this, verse 1, chapter 3. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, and, uh, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Is that just sound like anybody that we see around in the world today? Uh, this is all too common, isn't it? These are things that, that we as people are buying into. If we follow the natural inclinations of our hearts, we are probably in opposition to the Word of God. Because the inclination of our hearts is always evil all the time. That's what the Word of God says. Our natural inclination of our hearts is always evil, always in opposition to the Word of God. So therefore, we need to have the Holy Spirit leading us and directing us and guiding us into the Word and keeping us on the track that we need to be on. Well, let's look at the book of Jude. The last book just before Revelation. And we're going to look at Jude, verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter, or of Jude. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. I mentioned to you in the beginning that God is not surprised. God knew long ago about these men. And they want to change the grace of God into legalistic way of following them as opposed to following what the Word of God says. They are people who have destruction on their mind. They, they want to destroy the church as we know it today. Now we all know that there are things uh, within the church that maybe we need to, to uh, work on to make sure that we're uh, ministering to people in a right way. But one of the things that we cannot ever change, and that's the foundation upon which the church is built, the foundation of the church is the Word of God. It is a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they want to change from grace to immorality. They want to deny that there is a God and that Jesus Christ is God. That's where they're trying to lead us. I started off with talking about 
people who are outside of the church, who hate the church. And if you've been following, you understand and you see that the real problem is those within the church who teach things that are contrary to the Word of God. And if we don't stand against those kinds of teachings, we get ourselves into real trouble. Any question, any teaching that questions that Jesus Christ is who He said He is and that the Word of God says that He is is a teaching that is false and must be dealt with. As I mentioned, I haven't seen that kind of teaching here within Bethel, but because of my involvement in the district, I see it over and over and over again. And as I uh, watch what's happening in the Christian world, I hear reports of more and more and more of this kind of thing happening, that people who are within the church are destroying, trying to destroy the church with their own uh, false teaching. Many of these people are very charismatic, somebody that you want to follow after, uh, they're, they're wonderful speakers, but unless they're speaking and tre- teaching the Word of God correctly, then it's false. So God is not surprised. He told us that these teachings would come. He also told us it is important that we recognize that this comes from teachings within the church. That's what all of these verses talked about that I've shared with you so far this morning. It's noteworthy that this same theme that I mentioned, if you look up on the screen, you will see that this same teaching came from Paul when he wrote the letter to Titus, from Paul when he wrote the letter to Timothy, came from Peter, it came from Jude, who was the stepbrother of Jesus Christ our Lord, and who had by that time had risen to a position of leadership within the church. Three different people writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are saying and warning the same thing. Be on your guard against teachers from within the church who are leading the church astray. God's not going to be surprised when these people come. God knows that they're going to come. He's giving warning that they're going to come, and therefore it is our obligation to know the Word of God in such a way that we can stand in opposition to that kind of teaching. Otherwise, we will be led astray by all kinds of false teachings. We must know the Word of God. So if three people are telling us something, I would say it's fairly important, wouldn't you? Same thing. Same idea. Well, how should the church respond to such a thing? How... How do we as a church respond and prepare ourselves? And how do we uh, deal with these things when they come up? Well, I'll turn with me again to to 2 Peter. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. And this had been talking about uh, destruction and, and the things that, that we're going to have in, uh, under verse 11 here where it starts with what kind of people ought you to be is what I want us to look at. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed his, its coming. 
verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. And then verse, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from the secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory for uh, both now and forevermore. So you see what that teaching is there, is that we are aware of what's coming. We are to live godly lives, lives that are in line with what the Scriptures say. We are to live in such a way that we make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. That means that, that we are not those who set out to live a lifestyle of sinfulness, but rather we try, we strive to be found as being Christian men and women who live according to the Word of God. And therefore, since you know all of these things, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by these false teachings. Be prepared. Don't, don't get caught off guard. The Word of God has warned us and told us that these things would come in. These verses warn us to live holy and godly lives. It's not always easy. I understand that. But that's what we're called to do. So how do we do that? How do we respond? How do we react to these things? Well, let's look at a few more verses. First Peter, so just back a couple of pages here. First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, that's uh, sinners, that's Christ, non-Christians, right, is, is really because this is being written to believers. It's being written to the Word, or to uh, people who know the Word, who are in churches, so anybody who's outside. So live such good lives among those outside of the church that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may, be, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. You see... The call there is that in front of people outside of the church, we should live such lives that they're drawn to a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't reject God because they reject the way I behave and act. I I should interact with my neighbors in such a way that when somebody outside of the church mentions the name Hank Steed, they don't say, oh, that guy, do you know that he is... But rather, oh, wow, I know him. He's a pretty good guy. Why? Because I have lived my life in front of people in such a way that they are attracted to God as opposed to being in opposition to God. I think many of the people who are atheists have been hurt by the church and people within the church. Therefore, they reject the church They reject God because the church did something to them. The church meaning you and I, living in such a way that it was not something that that drew them to God, but rather caused them to reject and walk away from God. We are called to live such lives before the world that the world is drawn to God, not reject God. Now, it's not always going to be easy. (laughs) I know that. There's going to be times when it's going to be Uh, almost impossible for me to live in such a way. But you know what? I I just keep on trying my best. Under Under the power of the Holy Spirit, I go and I try to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. So live such good lives among the pagans or unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. One of the ways we can do that is we surrender. To God, we surrender our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We allow Him to teach us as we read His Word and willingly respond to His teaching. Second Timothy 2.15. All of those of you who are Awana workers know this verse. You can say it with me if you'd like. Second Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Well, what's the significance of that? First thing I have to do is I have to study the Word. Why do I study the Word? So that I understand it and I can use it and apply it. I can live it. Study. And then I do it in such a way that I, that I uh, get into it and I, and I try to dig deeper into the Word of God so that I can understand that when I reach this point and I have this kind of opposition, this is what the Word of God tells me how I should deal with that. That when I have somebody who comes along and says, Thus saith the Lord, I can say, No, that's not thus saith the Lord. Show me the, show me the scripture that says that. And oftentimes what they're going to do is they're going to take it out of context and try to convince you that this is what the Word of God is saying. And some of you have heard me say before, if somebody takes a part of a verse and tries to get you to change your life or match that verse the way they interpret it, you go back into the Word and you look at that paragraph that that, that that phrase is taken from. Does it match the context or the idea that, that that section is trying to say? It should also fit within the chapter. It should fit within the book. It should fit within the New Testament if it's a New Testament verse. And it should fit within the entirety of the Bible if it's truly the Word of God. You see, there's nothing that's taught in the New Testament that is contrary to what's taught in the Old Testament. The only difference is in the New Testament is we have a Savior who came, who brought us eternal life through the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And we don't have to do the works of the Old Testament. The promised Messiah from the Old Testament has come in the New Testament. Many, many verses in the Old Testament predicted or talked about the coming Messiah. It was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? I know that as I study the Word of God. And as I rightfully divide, rightfully divide means I, I go in there and I use it appropriately, I study it, and I, and I try to figure out what is it that God is trying to teach me from His Word. And when I come across something like, like the subject that I've been talking about today, I go back and I find other verses that talk about the same thing. It's not coincidence that we have three people who were teaching the same thing. Three writers in the Bible, in the New Testament. That's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, leading them what He wants them to write, that you and I may study and understand it and rightfully divide it and apply it in our lives. I get passionate about this because I see the opposite of what can happen when we don't study and we don't divide the Word of God correctly. We can get led off into directions that are inappropriate and incorrect. 
We have to be on our guard against that all the time. Now, here's a book that I know you all turn to on a regular basis, and that's the book of Habakkuk. So I would like you to turn to Habakkuk, and I should have looked it up in our pew Bible so you can find it in case you don't know, but it's right before Zephaniah, right after Jonah, right after Micah. Okay, does that get you in the neighborhood? Old Testament. Habakkuk. We were studying this in my adult Bible fellowship Uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about uh, these verses and uh, I'm going to just put those up there so they're up and I don't have to worry about it anymore. So we're going to look at Habakkuk chapter 3 and we're going to look at verses 17 to 19 and I want you to look at these verses this way. Habakkuk chapter uh, 3 verses 17 and 19. And as we were studying this, what we talked about in our ABF is this represents a total collapse of things that were part of the religious uh, way of doing things in the Old Testament, okay? You'll see what I'm, when we start to read it. And it's also a doing away of a lot of the economy of the uh, Old Testament church and the Old Testament people. So... Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop falls or fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. So you, you see the collapse there, right? The, the, the sheep and the, and the uh, uh, you know, are, are, were sacrificial animals, right? And the uh, olive tree represents the... Uh, wine. Uh, grapes represent the wine. Uh, there's, there's collapse of the economy. There's collapse of how they did their religious things. But look at verse 18. It's a cool verse. Yet. I love when we see the word yet in the Bible because it usually means there's something good going to follow it, right? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. C- can you see the, the, the decision that's made there? Though everything around me, my economy of our nation is falling apart. Though there's great opposition to everything I believe coming at me. Though, though people within the church are failing and, and, and causing me to question and wonder, yet, yet, yet I choose. That's, that's my word in there, but he says, I will. That's a choice. You and I have that choice. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful in God my Savior. You see, our, our natural inclination, our natural bent is to go around and grumble and complain and worry and, and, and fuss about all of the things going on around us. But the writer of Habakkuk, who started off questioning and wondering and, 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 and fighting against God in many ways, 
he gets to the end here and he says, yet I will. And my challenge to you and I today is we have to choose that I will be joyful in the Lord. I will sing praise. I will uh, love God and I will believe his word. I will because I choose, not because somebody indoctrinated me, not because somebody put up a billboard or made me go to to Sunday school or made me uh, go to church when I didn't want to go. But rather, I will choose. I will choose to believe God and His Word. It's a choice of the will. I started off by telling you the story about the atheist group's billboards. Well, on Fox News, and this is what caught my attention, was this story. On Fox News, they had a businessman uh, by the name of David Johnson who was on there. And David Johnson, when he saw these atheist billboards, felt moved and compelled to put up a billboard of his own. And so he put up a billboard that says, Merry Christmas. Do you notice Christ is in big letters there? He put Christ in there. And he owns a nursery, a, a, a place, uh, apparently not a real large business, but he chose to do this. In fact, when he presented this to the fellow employees at Johnson Nursery, they started pitching in money to help him with that because they agreed with what he said. I, I was really moved by this part of the story as I was watching it. Mr. Johnson was on a, on, on a news feed and the Fox News uh, reporter was asking them about this. And they wanted him to criticize or say something negative about the atheist's billboard. He says, I don't want to talk about them. I don't want to criticize them. I don't want to, I don't want to give them glory by saying anything about them. I want you to understand that I felt compelled to wish people a very merry Christmas. That's what I'm about. I'm not about complaining about other people. I'm here to tell you about Christ. And he held fast to that as they, they repeatedly kind of try to bring him back to that. You know how the news media does that? You know, they keep coming back and they have, a, they have, a, have something that they want you to say. And, he, and they tried several approaches to that and he just kept coming back and saying, I don't want to criticize. I don't want to complain. I want people to know that I wish them a Merry Christmas, a Merry Christmas. You see, that's living your life in such a way that people who are outside of the church are drawn to God. That's what we're told to do in the Scripture. We are to do our very best to proclaim God to a lost and hurting world. Your lives and my life are God's billboard. People will only see Jesus Christ as they look at God's church, you and me. How are we doing? How are we doing at responding when the world hates us and hates our church? God's given us a model. God's told us how to do it. How are we doing?